This is our house. This is our roof. And we can't stop. And we won't stop. <laughs> well, that, of course, is the great Miley Cyrus. And if it's what the rain seems to be shouting at me as it cascades in great torrents down the wall from the leak of the roof, then this must be Dale Radio. And I, of course, am your host, Dale Seaver, and you're listening to another episode of Some Things I Enjoy. Coming to you, as always, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness, well, you're probably thinking, you again. <laughs> You keep coming back. You said you're going to end it, and then you keep going. Well, I can't stay away, and this is a very special episode uh, because, uh, you know, it's it's summer, and a lot of people are going down to the beach, and they might need something to read down there. So this is a special book book edition, and as soon as this thing came out, and I knew I wanted to have the author on, you know, when I'm down there at the beach, I'll usually pick up whatever's in the beach house. Tropic of Cancer, Clan of the Cave Bear, Shogun. Thornbirds. Thornbirds. Classic. It's mostly an older lady that lives there, but uh, some, of the, <laughs> some of those are fun to just take out and then leave in the sand. But the one I'm going to recommend today is by my, by my guest. He's a friend of the program as well. Gabriel Roth is here with The Unknowns. That's the book. Gabriel, welcome. Uh, thank you, Dale. Great to be it's here. It's great to have you. Thanks for coming up to the place. And it's very warm outside. Sure. <laughs> we had to turn off the AC to do this one. But, oh, my goodness. You know, there's so many great... Uh, you know, the book is called The Unknowns. That's correct. And that, of course, is every book. You're not sure what's going to be in a book when you pick it up. That's true. It's so, what the economists call an experience good. <laughs> there you are. Yes. Well, like uh, Moby Dick, for instance, you might have a sense of what it is. But you, but maybe not. Maybe you get to the page and it's a homoerotic thing about whale blubber, sure. and that's a surprise. Sure. But your book, The Unknowns, of course, appeals to a vast pansexual audience, doesn't it? Well, that was my hope, yes. That's the aim of the thing, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, let me ask you the question that I'm sure you're going to get a lot as you go around talking up the book and talking to people. This is one that people are going to get to, so I'm going to ask it right at the top. It might be a little unusual, but what's next for you, Gabe? Uh, well, I, I, after this, I'm going to go get some lunch and, and then maybe, um, you know, surf the Internet and be on Twitter a little bit. But do you mean in, in, my, in my writing? <laughs> Isn't that what people always do? They say, well, now you finished it. What's next? They, they always want to know what's going on. They do seem to ask that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> well, you better get a good stock one in there, good stock answer. Yes, absolutely. They do some traveling. Uh, uh, yes, that's a good answer. No, I, I the, the correct you. answer is I'm, I'm under contract to write another novel. And I, oh, well, there you go. And, and I am f attempting to fulfill my legal obligations in that regard. <laughs> and this is a debut novel. It is. A, it is. A, it's my well, first novel. Well, congratulations. Thank you. First off, congratulations. And how does it feel? How does this moment feel to have done this uh, thing? Well, it... it it takes so long. The whole can I swear on this podcast? You can. It takes you so can. fucking long, and you. I I'll have to bleep it out. But sure. that's. <laughs> I, sure. mean, I won't myself. Sure, no, but I appreciate you it. You can, need to use it for emphasis. I can write down the time codes whenever <laughs> I swear. Thank if you'd you. Like that, maybe that will be helpful to your it interns. Would, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll send it to them. Do that. I I started this book in in two thousand and. I think the, mm. the I started I did an MFA program at San Francisco State University and the first workshop I was in I turned in something that became the first chapter of this book and that was in fall of 2004 and now the book is out on the shelves and people can buy it and it's the summer of uh, 2013 <laughs> and 
And it's it, it really is. I mean, it's a long time, and so and we'll talk today, and then I'll just put this up. Yeah. Oh well, that's that's the difference. That's right. <laughs> that's and right. I, it's the way in which the publishing industry it just doesn't function like your contemporary podcasting industries that's, and the allied right. technologies. Um, and so the feeling is sort of one of relief, like nothing's gone wrong terribly up till this point, and also of exhaustion, like, boy, I was waiting. I mean, even after we I signed the contract to publish this book, which was in November of 2011, so there's been a year and a half since then, it just, most of it, you know, I did some revisions after that, but most of it is just waiting around, and there's a lot of waiting involved, and so mostly it feels like, oh, God, finally, it's out. Right, you don't have to wait for that. You can just enjoy this moment. A yeah, little bit. yeah, and and frankly, you know, now there's the question of: are, Is anyone going to read it? Are people going to pick it up and read it? Right. Is it going to get any reviews or any kind of attention from people? But, and it, but it has. It's got some nice are. reviews, sure, and and there hopefully there will be some more coming. Maybe it will be a book that people look at. Maybe it will disappear without trace. But it, after that very very long build up then now there's a, what feels like a very short window in which the, what happens next is determined and is largely out of my hands. Yes. And, and it's a, it's a, I'll say it's an interesting time. It's, it's a slightly crazy-making time. Yeah, because you're being pulled in a lot of directions, I guess, to promote the thing. Yes, and of course I'm happy to do anything. Anybody wants <laughs> Clearly. to, to me to, do, to promote the thing. <laughs> Hence my presence. Uh, that, yes, no, it's not as though, oh, the demands of the promotional machine are too much for, right. for my tender, artistic, flowery soul. It's, it's not like that at all. It's, it's, boy, I really hope anyone is going to want to listen to what I have to say about this and then right. possibly pick up the book and read the first few pages and see if it's of any interest. So there's a little anxiety about that. A certain degree of anxiety yeah. would be fair to say. Well, I don't think you have to worry because it's great. I appreciate it. It's that. a great book. Thank you. It's a, it's a really terrific one, and I would... I, I mean that in all, in all honesty. Well, I, I really do is. appreciate it. I that. read some. And uh, uh, now, as I said, now we know each other a little bit. Yes, sure. Not, more, more than a little, I venture. More than a little, but not as well as I know some other people. Fair I enough. I realized as I was thinking about this. Fair enough. And I think that there, there was a time I did sleep with your cousin, which was no small thing. I remember. I, she I, was I, a small thing. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I remember that not, I don't remember... From experience, I remember hearing. You just, the, the you you just threw the grapevine. Yes, hey, exactly. Is, Dale's getting around. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's inching into the family a little yes, bit. Yes, I do remember that. Well, I was sorry to hear that her pussy died. Her cat. Her cat, I think, uh, passed yes, on. Yes, yes, And that's, I hate to see that at yes. any point. Uh, I'm not Because you and, you and the cat had become sort of close during that time, hadn't you? Well, it was always there, and I was taking the Benadryl. Yes. So, <laughs> I don't have a great fondness for, no, for well, cats. Well, sure. Sure. They have a particular odor, but now and I always thought you were British. Well, in a way, I am. Yeah, how, explain that. Well, because you're over there. I, I'm not now. Now I'm here in, no, in, in yes. your apartment on the Fowl <laughs> Banks, etc. Uh, I I was born in London, England, yes. uh, which is in Britain. Yeah, and I'm familiar. Uh, yes, yeah. and I I was educated there uh, for the whole of my youth, and it was only at the age of 18 that I came to the oh, United so States. For all intents and purposes, you are. Yes. Well, the twist is my, <laughs> my parents were American expatriates. I see. And so I was raised surrounded by the glories of American culture. 
Uh, and when I came over here, I had an American passport, mm -hmm. thanks to heredity. And I've been over here since I was 18, which is now more than 20 years ago. Right. Uh, and so at this point, I, I don't think of myself as an Englishman per se, <laughs> right. uh, but I, I do. But you could slip. You uh, could slip back in a little I, bit. I certainly could. And I was over there a little while ago. The book came out in England a month before it came out in the States. Oh. And I did some promotional events there. And, and I, I did have to concentrate to maintain my American accent in order to give me that kind of sheen of exoticism. <laughs> Uh, that the yeah, Brits so demanded over America, there. yeah. And where the when he would go as a as a boy as a youth, uh, coming of age to the expat gatherings that they'd have there at the pubs. Mm. What were they talking about? How great uh, uh, not having health care was. Uh, what were, they, what were they? What were they? You mean what were the sharing? what were the Americans talking about? Yeah, yeah. I assume it wasn't a communist kind of a thing. It was a, no, know, no. The Americans about baseball. Well, well, the Americans that you find in England usually are are the more sort of cosmopolitan and sophisticated sure. of your Americans, the kind you would find in your major cultural yes, no, uh, coastal metropolises. Uh, and so it was, you know, there was a lot of um, hand-wringing and hair-pulling around the, the Reagan and first Bush administration. Oh, that must so have been the, fun. Yes, oh, sure, good times. <laughs> I like any time Iran-Contra comes yes, up. Yes, sure. Oh, sign me up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and, uh, <laughs> but then, of course, I met you out in San Francisco. That's right. Uh, I think. Were you also in Providence or no? I, I was, yes. I went to, to university at uh, Brown University in the uh, state of I've Providence. heard of it. Yes. So, uh, and then out there in San Francisco, I, this is where I'm actually a little uh, fuzzy. Were you working in tech? No. No. Not techno. I was neither. I was working <laughs> not, neither not in DJ. tech nor, nor in techno. Uh, <laughs> I was working in journalism at uh, the alternative weekly paper known as the San Francisco Bay Guardian. Well, that's quite a place. It certainly is. And they're just getting by now. It's just a, a whisper of what it was. It, it certainly is. I was there during the first tech boom in the late 90s, and I remember that the, we published the Best of the Bay summer issue, and it was 340 pages. And today, a, a big issue of The Guardian might come in at 48 pages. Right, right. So. It's a little disappointing. It, it is. But it, it sounds like we were both, I was in the sort of entertainment field and yes. nonprofit circles yes. and, the, and journalism, both kind of bubble-proof. We really, we didn't have to, like, have a lot of money, then lose it. That's right. So we just, we, we made the we, safe we, choice. We didn't ride that elevator. <laughs> you can have it, pets.com. I do remember thinking at the time, you know, I'm sure it's the same for you. My friends would get jobs working for a company that they couldn't properly explain what it did. Yes. And they couldn't explain what their role was. Yes. But they were making three times as much money as me, and there was free food everywhere. If, and foosball. Yes. All these recreational activities no, in just, their offices. hanging out. Suggesting that there was no actual work for them to do. And I remember <laughs> thinking, this can't be the right choice. It's not stable. It's not sustainable. But, of course, they had a good three or four years of making hefty salaries to yes. play foosball all day. Yeah. I didn't have that. But some people cashed out, and they got... Oh, yeah. If, I mean, if they you knew where to put your chips at the time. Yeah, right, yeah. Sure. A little bit like the, the hero in your, in your novel. Well, that's true. He got out there. But uh, uh, we'll come. We'll circle back down there at The Guardian. You're just going to let that segue sit there? That was such a terrific segue. I didn't even see it coming. It felt so natural. I thought, wow, he segued right into the oh. material. And, and then you just set it down. That is a master podcaster yeah, at work. Right. you got to keep them You hooked. see those openings you and see. you just set them down. Let <laughs> them go because you know there'll be another one along. <laughs> Magnificent. <laughs> it's all just elaborate segues as we go. So now, but in San Francisco at the, at the Guardian, I had the opportunity to get in there one time and go noodle around in mm -hmm. some of the offices. 
And up in the top, we don't have to say, this is where you met your wife, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so she's also a journalist. That's right. And uh, so uh, she, she was there the day I was there, and I got up there and sort of into some of the offices. And the guy that was the main guy, the, the editor, I guess, the top guy, his office was the messiest office mm. I'd ever seen, like a hoarder mm. level, like you'd expect to find some dead cats and maybe an old lady yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you're thinking of Tim Redmond. <laughs> well, you said uh, it, not me. My, my boss, my mentor, my friend, and, and certainly a man with some organizational What's challenges. What's going on? Little scraps of paper oh, yeah. ripped off Phone of... Phone numbers, yes. No Rolodex. One of San Francisco's preeminent progressive journalists, no Rolodex, just little scraps of paper. All it was numbers. amazing. It was truly, I thought, well, if this is how this is going. Yes. I yeah. mean, and then from there, you that would have been in, let's say, 1999. And he, yeah. he managed to maintain his authority over the newspaper until just a month ago, at which point he was unceremoniously fired. But but I, I don't think, frankly, I don't think that the messiness of his office was the cause of his... You think it was a little bit of a ploy, though? Because when they come along and say, hey, clean out your office, mm. you say, yeah, it'll <laughs> take me a year. <laughs> Seen a little bit. D didn't work, unfortunately. <laughs> well, oh my goodness. Um, well, so you have so in the in the in the unknowns, we'll mm. get back to it. One of the challenges that I found as a reader is that even knowing you as much as I do, um, uh, we have overlapping social circles. It's true, people that we both have in common. And so, as I'm reading this, I can't help picturing mm. some of those people mm. in sort of their fictitious. Uh, uh, you know, analogs that are in, that are in there in the book. Do you, does that happen to you when you know other people that have written? Yes, it certainly has happened to me. There is quite a prominent debut novel published by a young um, West Indian British writer in the <laughs> late nineties or early two thousand. Quite a riddle you're giving our listeners. Uh, whose whose name? <laughs> Let's just call it Black Teeth, let's okay. say. <laughs> okay. And yeah. uh, the, there, there are some characters in that book who I, I did know some of the models for those characters. <laughs> and, and it added a level of intrigue and interest for it me was. in reading what was already a superlative novel, not without its own inherent intrigue. Sure, sure. Uh, but but I, I'm wondering, I'm now, since you say that, yeah. about your experience of reading the book, I'm now mentally going through the characters and trying to imagine who you might be casting in each of the different <laughs> roles. I, I don't know if you're, if you're getting them right or not. From, yeah. I, I don't know that there are, in fact, any really close analogs. Uh, there's one character, yeah. uh, the, the narrator's name is Eric Muller, and he has a, a close friend named Cynthia. Yes. Uh, She's a, a an amalgam of at least three different people who were close friends of mine in San Francisco. Any one of whom could identify a particular moment yeah. in the book. Oh, we had that conversation. And do they talk to you about that? They have. Well, the book is just coming out, so we're just getting to so where they're about to, to read it. So I'm yes, waiting to see what their response is. The other advantage, though, is that all of these conversations took place about 15 years ago. Right, sure, so they probably faded from memory <laughs> for most of them. Well, we had one that's a small featured gal that lived in Guerrero. Mm. And that that suggested a certain person, and then some of the, you know, you're so uh, uh, you you bring this world to life so vividly and with such specific uh, uh, things, such uh, imagery. But I was there. I remember being at some of these parties. Mm. I think I'm uh, sure you were. And whether I was actually having that conversation or yes. not, or privy to it, I can I know the environment I, I, I'm and sure it you conjured were. it just spectacularly. Well, thank you. So I really appreciated that. <laughs> Now, uh, I know you don't like to give the synopsis of the thing. 
I'll give a synopsis. What but but uh, maybe just just give, or or you can give something that's not not it at all. No, no, sure. Off. I mean, I mean, when you know, you go around doing this, and and you have you gotta, to. You got to tell them what it's about. Yeah, and you, you have to do it in very at various lengths and in various contexts. You, I would think I would be better at it by now, given the number of times <laughs> I've done it. But I'm I'm happy to do it. Uh, the the protagonist's name is Eric Muller. He's yeah. a computer programmer, and uh, we see him as a teenager when he's very good at programming computers, sort of a prodigy, but not very good at interacting with people and particularly talking to girls and he's preoccupied with talking to girls and he wants to figure that out he says he sets out to hack the girlfriend problem he wants uh, to apply the same knowledge that he sort of gives to the computer programming world to uh, interpersonal relationships that's exactly right uh, and of course that doesn't quite work the way that he would hope <laughs> that it works uh, he grows up a little bit and we see him in his early 20s in San Francisco. He's founded a dot-com company and then sold it and made quite a lot of money. And he's still in his early 20s, quite wealthy, and still hasn't succeeded in hacking the girlfriend problem, although he, he, he's on the surface a little smoother than he was in high school. And he goes around tries to find love, and then eventually he finds it. And uh, kind of goes back and forth between his uh, childhood and the issues with his parents. That's right. And then the, the, the sort of young adult life in uh, San Francisco. That's right. But the, the, the real problem for him, at first he thinks that the problem is finding love and making someone love him, and then he finds it, and he's able to do that, and then he realizes, well, now the real problems begin. Uh, and that was important to me, that the story not end when he figures out how to woo a lady. Or right, it's not gets the game or something like that. Exactly. It's not a dating advice book. Exactly. That once you've done that, then you're still just at the beginning of trying to figure all of this stuff out. And it could go a whole, whole mess of ways. That's exactly yeah, but, right. Well, and you had good timing with this because, of course, uh, Snowden, mm -hmm. uh, who is not is not the character, I no. assume, in the book. No, no. But uh, Eric, is that his name? Yes, Edward. Eric. Eric, Eric Muller. But the guy, Snowden. Oh, Edward Snowden, yes, Edward. of course. But then, so that with the NSA and everybody owns a pri private information and the... Uh, uh, just doing a little current events for our mm -hmm. listeners, mm -hmm. but everybody's reading our Facebook status sure. updates and all that. Cool that Egypt. idea of uh, exactly, yeah. Well, we'll, well, again, we'll tie that oh, back in. It's good. But the, uh, the, uh, the this world of information is kind of what this guy's involved in, and trying right. to just uh, almost build a person out of the the data that is collected out there. That's absolutely right. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to say anything else. No, no. <laughs> but I, well, my point is good yes. timing. Well, thank you. And I think it's almost a little suspicious, the timing. <laughs> so. let's, not, let's not pursue that avenue very much further. I no, mean, let's not pursue that avenue very much further. <laughs> Didn't leave the journalism that far behind. This is just ascending. Are you doing that now? The journalism? Yeah. I, I haven't done any actual reporting in a, in a very long time. Uh, I was never really very good at that. Well, that's not, that's not true. I read something about barbecue sauce one time. Yes, I wrote a food review column. <laughs> I, I was very good at t telling you my opinions of different restaurants. That was a good one. Really, I, I, I think I was quite good at that. But I was very bad. My main gig was as a political reporter, and I was very bad at finding out information about what was actually happening and reporting that to people. But it's true. He didn't want you to use the sauce. No, it's right. That's right. Yeah, that, that, but the sauce was delicious. It was delicious. It was the best sauce I think I've had That's since. right. Well, his argument was uh, barbecue is about 
how long he was cooking his brisket in uh, on uh, white smoke flame for 18 hours. And if you drown it with this sweet vinegary sauce, then you're missing the whole point of the barbecue. Yeah, he's wrong. I, you could look at it either way. <laughs> no, I tell you, he's wrong. But you know, you get into one of those things like investigative report of reporting, mm. and, that, and I was thinking, well, maybe if I was a, one of these uh, detectives, you know, out there, that I'd be uh, I'd be private eyes. Now, I wouldn't just limit it to private eye. Uh, you understand? I have both eyes. And so that way I could always say, I got my eyes on your privates. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, well, also then your your uh, unique selling proposition would be um, depth perception. That's right. That's right. You could say everyone else <laughs> right. seeing everything in two dimensions. But yeah. we... I'm going to bring it bring it up. It's good. I like it. Thank you. So, uh, so he's the... Uh, a tech wizard, and uh, the, one of the things that he gets involved in is storing and getting all this information, and that ends up undoing him. That's right. In a sense. And uh, one thing that came to mind in reading it and, t- and thinking about the main character is that he's a bit of an overthinker. Certainly. He just, but we have that, I think. I don't know, do you identify as that yourself? I don't want to say, are you like this character? But I mean, uh, just... Generally, I feel like we actually have a lot of friends in common who could fall into that category of way overthinking the situation. Absolutely. I, because I have just published this book, which portrays this character who's a real extreme overthinker, a, a sort of almost to a caricatured degree. Yes. Uh, I, I need to distance myself from that a little bit. Um, that trait of Eric Muller, the protagonist of my novel, The Unknowns, uh, is not a trait I share to that extent, but it's a trait that I identify in myself and that I then was able to magnify and exaggerate for the sake of the character. Do you worry about it in yourself a little bit? I, not as much as I used to. Uh, I <laughs> oh, began, good. Yeah, I began this novel at a time when, uh, well, I had been in psychoanalysis for a long time. I had had some breakthroughs. Uh, a sort of a long, profound depression was lifting Uh, which was wonderful, but I found myself going out into the world as if defenseless and and unarmed, going out with all of the um, habits of behavior and reactions that I had built up over the course of my adult life no longer felt appropriate or right, and I felt vulnerable and, and uncertain in every interaction. And so that overthinking tendency that I already have, of course, really turned itself up in order to compensate. It was as though every situation was brand new and I had to figure out the appropriate response. Right. Uh, right. And so for about a year, I had a voice in my head that was not too dissimilar <laughs> to the voice of this book. And I, I was able to, to use it then even after I had gotten a little bit more accustomed to being out in the world. Right, right. Well, it seems definitely seems like it comes from a real place. Well, thank you. Uh, and I certainly, I mean, I've walked out of stores when I thought I couldn't manage the relationship with the clerk. Or oh, with, sure. But I mean, I've gotten to the point where it's been a little, I'll walk around the block. But, you know. but those, I mean, that's terrifying, those, <laughs> those stores. <laughs> I, if it's some clothing store and there's some set of rules or oh, codes yeah. that you're supposed to abide by, and you, already when you walk in, everyone else is wearing the clothes of the store and you're wearing your own street clothes, <laughs> which true. are completely wrong. They're always wrong. Yes, and <laughs> all you want to do is exchange your money for goods. Yes, But, yes. but you need to, it involves personal choices and fashion and style, but it also involves one's body and, and how body it, image and body how image you, you and kind how of go in as a crouch position. Yes, just, absolutely. You're demeaned the minute you walk That's in. That's right. And and for some reason some of these stores, their business model 
involves exaggerating all of these anxieties and, and drawing them out. Perhaps there's some people who are more likely to spend money. Perhaps they make more money on the people who, who are attracted to that sort of experience than they lose on people like you and me who run away. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. yeah. I'll just buy it online. Yes, exactly. Or go to J.C. Penney's or whatever. <laughs> yes, or I'll head down there. Now, uh, uh, it also seems to me that this kind of overthinking, he's almost like a, a Marvel mutant character. Well, and that could be his power. Sure. And now we come to one of the subtexts of the book that I, I knew that you would be one of the first to exhume. <laughs> oh, well, good. Good. There's a little comics uh, a thread through it. That's right. You're a lover of comics. I sure, yes. You're uh, a big fan of, I think, the, the Stanley creation of the world of mutants. Absolutely. And that kind of thing. And it's always a perfect stand-in for whatever somebody's going through. That's right. But uh, this guy, I also thought of the the, the great uh, character that seems to that no one can really use, uh, Doug Ramsey. Remind me, Cipher. I think he could read any language, oh. and uh, uh, maybe computer stuff. Uh-huh. And he was best friends with Warlock, huh. who was from some kind of alien. Now you know this oh. is just my niece Katrina loves the comics, yeah. and just to have a conversation with her that's not about picking up her stuff off the floor. Yeah. I got to get up to speed on the new mutants and all this. Yes, oh, he was a member of that. I, he's, yeah. he's so obscure you don't even uh, remember. I don't, and I should say um, the the material in the book draw the, the book draws on is the Chris Claremont X Men run in right. the, of the nineteen eighties, right. and yet my knowledge of that stuff had to be sort of patched up as I was working on it, and I realized that there would be this level of thematic relevance, <laughs> and so I never got to the New Mutants, which I know is a oh, favorite well, of some with its more they, New Age take on the X Men tropes. The next the next book. It's very good. <laughs> Next book. Getting Danny how, Moonstar in I there. could see how the power of being able to read any language is something that in practical terms would be extremely useful in a real-world <laughs> yes. espionage or, or heroism context. Right. But in narrative terms... It, it might visual it, terms. And visual and narrative terms, right. Particularly in the medium of comics, it might be very difficult to exploit it with any real vigor. Yeah, they keep killing him off. Yes, well, they would. <laughs> they merge him with yes. an alien body, yes. they kill him off the poor Yes, he, he, he would be a strong candidate for that sort of treatment, <laughs> I would think. Is there any character you'd like to write in the comics in the world? Com- oh, sure, a million of them. Um, I, obviously, I've, obviously I've thought about this a great deal, and it's not yeah. necessarily my favorite characters, but I, I really think if you gave me a year on Green Lantern, wow. Yeah. I could really do some stuff with that. Well, interesting. Sure. I mean, and almost any of the Green Lanterns, although, of course, Hal Jordan would be the Green Lantern you would really He's want. He's the one you want. Yeah. Well, if you can redesign Guy Gardner's costume. You could do some stuff with that guy, too. I mean, the the idea... Of, yeah. All because, the elements are there. Yeah, the, the, the concept, the power ring, lantern, aliens, police force concept is yeah. so strong that you could slot in a, a sort of stick-in-the-mud test pilot like Hal Jordan. Right. Or... A brash asshole like Guy Gardner, and the, the storytelling works either way. Or a military architect. A military or architect. Like John Stewart. Sure. Or <laughs> a, a freewheeling Gen X graphic designer like Kyle Rayner. <laughs> they, they all work just fine. Well, well, an aging great. homosexual such as Alan Scott. It's all, all strong. It's all, it all works. Well, I look forward to that. Do you think you'd do a graphic novel? I, I would love to. I, nobody has asked me to at this yeah. point. Um, and, of course, I'm not an artist. I'm not, I don't 
draw. But do you think in pictures when you're writing this? When I was writing the unknowns, I did not because it, it works at the sentence level. And I think in sentences, I would love to get my head into the framework of thinking about telling a story in pictures and yeah. laying out pages and designing them. But of course, I would need to work with an artist. And as we know, the strongest comics are usually those which are produced by a single person and or at least by two people working together very closely. Yeah, there should be somebody else in there. Y- yeah, there's going to need to be somebody else. <laughs> there's somebody else. Yeah. McFarlane could could have used a little. Oh, that would be interesting. He could have used some help yeah. in some of those, but maybe uh, he's gotten better, and we wish him well. But, uh, you know, that's, um, well, that's interesting. Because uh, I think that uh, you say they work in sentences, and there are some paragraphs in here that end so perfectly that I think, uh, that's it, that's the end of the book. That you, you've summed up, it's this beautiful little, uh, you know, uh, description of what's going on or you know, what, what's happening for the character and then the ending it's, it's every paragraph just perfect well that's real first of all that's really nice of you i'm glad you felt that way second of all i think in many of those places i felt the exact same way and then i did a word count and it turned out <laughs> we were only about 60 pages keep in. going yeah it's not enough <laughs> well uh you write most of this uh here then what you you said you started I, in san francisco yes so i began in i in this mfa program and i wrote probably about a third of it or, or an early version of about a third of it out there and then my wife and i moved out here to new york and i wrote the rest all right you got a favorite place to write well i write at the brooklyn writer space where i, I kind of co-op collaborative it is, it is like that i i pay a membership and i have a locker with my computer and i sit at a cubicle and i do my stuff every day as all great writers did yes exactly <laughs> me in one cubicle and count leo tolstoy in the next <laughs> cubicle it's really it really feels like that in a way and then in another way it doesn't not at all you know i get freaked out when i see people riding on the subway mm. jotting down notes and looking up and okay, you see they're taking in the character I'm doing the same thing just sure. in my head <laughs> but, but you don't need to write it down <laughs> I don't write no, it down I just let it, let it in bit rude it's a little I don't because I want but then I want to know if I ended up in there yes so you try and do maybe a little thing to they get, should have get a, an email list that you could sign up for where or one of those restaurant beepers yes exactly <laughs> just get a vibration absolutely I've appeared in a debut novel yes absolutely <laughs> go to the reading up at book court I mean, worse if they're if they're sketching. To be honest, if they've got if they're artists oh, with a sketchbook, what if you bad. what if you were to open? You know, Chris Ware's beautiful sketchbooks. Yeah, what yeah. if you were to open one of those and you saw one of those beautifully rendered, sketched out portraits of yourself yeah. on the Chicago bus system or something like that? Terrifying. It's terrifying. I'd be honored on one level. That's right. On one level, Agreed. you're you're immortal. That's right. That's right. If the podcast doesn't do it, <laughs> then we hope that does. Exactly right. So now, and of course, uh, uh, are you doing any morning shows for this? Are you going around the country? Well, I, I'm doing some public events. I've done so far the only actual broadcast radio that I've been invited to do has been uh, broadcast in Australia and and That's New where Zealand. You want to start the whole the whole of the Antipodes. Things happen there first. That, well, sometimes. Well, and like then, New Year. Y- yes, rotation. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so I did an interview with the Australian Broadcasting Company, uh, and they also had me do a, a segment called uh, My Top Shelf in which they asked me to list five works of art or literature, et cetera, that I particularly esteem. And, and at the end of each one, I had to say, and the next item on my top shelf is... <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, it was good. I thought good you were going to talk about liquor, but that's not well, what it was. No, or um, Books. pornography. Pornography. <laughs> right. The brown bag. Yes. Either way. It's all on my top God, shelf. Everything right? good is in a brown bag. You got to put one on this? Mm. Good idea. Next one. 
Oh, yeah. he, was, he was tapping on the book. By the way. <laughs> yeah, for those. Referring to the book right in, <laughs> in an audio medium at this, at this time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you got any creative control over these events that you're doing? You're trying to do anything unusual at them? I'm trying to make them fun and interesting, which in a sense is a bit unusual for yeah. literary reading. Uh, I, you know, you go to these things and quite often everybody there is friends with the author, and I'm sure that will be the case at mine as well, And but you, there's a sort of sense of dutiful obligation in yeah. attending these events. Uh, and I, I'm not the most perceptive person, but I hope I can tell when my friends are there out of a sense of dutiful obligation, <laughs> and that would make me feel really bad. So, live it up. Yes, exactly. I mean, if, especially if they've already bought the book, you don't have to give up a whole night of your life just to sit there and hear me read from it. So, um, there will be a brief reading. There will be some sort of Q and A activity, yeah, yeah. much like we're doing, but in with physical presence. Right. And then afterwards, the main thing is, I'm hoping to wrap it up quickly and then have a drinking venue afterwards <laughs> for everyone to go to and, and have a drink. That's always the key. That's it's my feeling. always good. Well, and you got some of the dates coming up. I can put those on the website. Oh yes, great. Right, yes. we're at uh, we're at Book Court. I say we by we I mean my, myself and my authorial persona. You me, in the book? Me in the book. <laughs> we'll be going to to Book Court on Court Street here in Brooklyn um, next Saturday, uh, July third. Thirteenth, you want um, to dress the book up? Yes, give them a little outfit, little, little bring tie, them with you, tie, yeah. and perhaps a pair of spectacles. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then I'll be it's novel. That's right. Yes, uh, a beret uh, and a little scarf. Um, I'll be in Los Angeles at uh, Skylight Books on the sixteenth, Tuesday, the sixteenth of July, and then in San Francisco, um, I'm being interviewed by Chris Beatty, with whom I sure. think you're familiar. Yeah. Uh, on July eighteenth, the Thursday, at the Hotel Rex, under the auspices of Litquake and the Epicenter series. Jeez, okay, that's a lot. Yeah, well, and again, we'll put them up on the on the website too. And I gather it was important for you to wait until Philip Roth retired. Oh yes, there's so only one. Could, there's only one Roth slot. You can. <laughs> I wish Dale's pet world would get the heck off the yes, air. I could move a few notches up on absolutely. the on the charts. Absolutely. Um, I, really, I was waiting for Alice Munro to retire <laughs> well, because I I, no, I think her, her her slot as the universally beloved author of crystalline short stories that appear in the New Yorker <laughs> is just begging for a debut coming of age novel to fill it. You know. She doesn't dress up her books. It's really true. It's an opening up. Just saying. Uh, and where can you buy it anywhere? Anywhere I, well, books are sold. Yes. I, if you go to Maybe your, not some of these old used books places. No, I would hope not. If, if it had already been sold <laughs> to those places, that would be a vote of no confidence in but the you, book. You got your own site? Uh, I do, GabrielRoth.com. Okay. And, and, and I'm active on the Twitters. Uh, as, as, I, as I know. And yeah. I'll see you over there. Good. I look forward um, to that. So that's great. Terrific. And Amazon, any other places. Yes, of course. Just look in. The sure. unknowns. Yes. And there you have it. Well, thank you, hey, Gabe. This is great. Thank you, Dale. It's been pleasant. We had fun. We it's certainly nice. did. <laughs> well, all right. September 16th, we return with live shows at Union Hall. And we got a great lineup. I'm not going to announce it yet, but we have a great one. Uh, until then, I'll be getting started on my own comic book about a mutant who has the power to empty whiskey bottles. <laughs> now let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy.